Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. Hello, and thanks for joining us once again. This is episode number 134 of The Next Track, and today we are pleased to have back our good friend, Chris Conacher of ComputerAudiophile.com. It's been a number of months, I think almost a year since Chris was last on the show because he's been wicked busy. But despite that, you look great, Chris. Thanks for being with us today. Ah, thank you. Uh, Thanks for having me back, guys. It's cool to be kind of back in the saddle here. Yeah, Doug mentioned when we connected on Skype that he expected Chris to look much more haggard because Chris launched this audio equipment marketplace called Superphonica, which is linked to the Computer Audio File website. And things have been growing. And And I mentioned to you, I saw just last week, you added a number of brand boutiques Quickly, tell us how it's going. What's new? How's What's changed since we talked to you about this last year, I think? Yeah, yeah. So it's going good. You know, like all businesses, you start with a, a big plan and here's how it's going to go. And then you kind of find your way. Um, the big thing we've been doing is trying to get more, you know, private sellers because they're a big part. It's the community. And we're also working with a number of manufacturers to offer new and B stock and new old stock and stuff like that, that you can't get anywhere else. So it's, it's pretty cool. We have a number of blue chip manufacturers on board already and other ones are lined up. It's kind of up to me to create the brand boutique. So inside I'm haggard. (laughs) I might not look it, but there's lots of work to be done and a few of them want to launch before January 1st. So this month could be hectic. Well, this is a good time of year. Everyone's out to buy things and gear acquisition syndrome they want new gear and new stuff and new toys and all that don't they yes yes definitely and actually that brings us to our topic because today what we wanted to talk about is the exact opposite for a number of reasons doug and i were discussing making a minimal audio setup and one of the reasons that interested me is my partner and i decided to take one of our upstairs bedrooms and turn it into a tv room it's about 15 feet long 10 feet wide and I've got a 60-inch TV, and I just don't want to use that AV amplifier anymore. All the cables and the big speakers on the speaker stands and all that. So I went and I bought a sound bar. I bought a Sonos Beam on Black Friday. It was 50 pounds off. And I'm immensely satisfied, not only that the sound is quite good, but that it's all minimalist. And that made me realize that as I look around, I've got two speakers on my desk here, sort of full-size bookshelf speakers, Vocal Chorus 705, I think they are. I've got an amplifier and a CD player on the side. I've got another pair of speakers. It's like all this stuff. And why can't we, with all the progress we've made in technology, minimize this, make a minimalist system? And when I emailed you, you were really excited because this is something you like to talk about. Yes. Where do we start? This is, I'm very passionate about this because my daughter, who's six years old, and my wife, are not going to listen to a hi-fi system. They don't even want to look at a hi-fi system. And it's important to me that they enjoy music as much as possible. And if I can go downstairs and see them jamming Beyonce on a hi-fi component to make it sound good, that makes me happy. So it's kind of like a quest of mine. How do I make things sound as good as possible, but be friendly for what I'll call civilians? You know, I'm a knuckle dragon audiophile, but... I'm really passionate about this. And at the same time, we must tell our listeners that you are in a new listening room that's almost finished being set up, and you're waiting for proposals about room treatment, which is about as anti-minimalist as you can get. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I, I wired, you know, an electrical sub-panel up here to the second floor. And I mean, it's, 
Yeah, it's all out. I got wool carpet because the natural fibers will have, you know, different properties for sound. I mean, so I go from the crazy side to the normal side and they both excite me. And that's why we like you, Chris, because you're willing to understand what people want. And instead of trying to sell them on an ideal, you'd make a good salesman in an audio store because you'd be able to sell each person on what they need according to their desires and, and their budgets. Yeah, I just... I. I don't understand it any other way, you know? Uh, it's just how it has to work. It's the only successful model. And if I can make the rest of my family happy and my friends happy, then I'm happy too. Like I was just over at a friend's house who put in the Sonos Play Bar. I recommended, I said, you've got to get this. It's going to look great. That thing is awesome. I totally love the Sonos Play Bar. So how much better is that than the Sonos Beam, which is the one that I bought? Yeah, so I've only heard the Beam in noisy environments. I haven't heard it like at somebody's house, so I really don't know. I just know that that Play Bar blows away everybody who is not, you know, a stuck-up audiophile. And all the stuck-up audiophiles even go, oh, well, that's pretty damn good, you know? So yeah, I think it, it all starts with Sonos. And if Sonos makes something that fits the bill, there's no need to move on. Kirk has also been kind of raving privately about how much he enjoys the Sonos One that he bought. Now, he's got two. Well, I'll let him tell the story. But I was surprised, too, because he really seemed to like the HomePods. But the Sonos, I mean, literally knocked him out of his socks. Was that is that an over-exaggeration? Well, no. I was very critical about the HomePod because it has an acoustic signature that you can't change because it's so bassy. I bought a Sonos One also on Black Friday. I wanted a speaker for the kitchen. I didn't want to spend the price of another HomePod, which here is 319 pounds. The Sonos One was 175. I've had Sonos gear in the past, and to me, they're the only competitor sound quality-wise for that type of speaker. And it's it's incredibly neutral, plus the app lets you adjust bass and treble and loudness. I think it's superior to the, to the HomePod in sound overall. I'm, I'm with you on that. As you know, I'm no fan of the HomePod, but I haven't heard them in a stereo pair. That said, you know, a lot of this also comes down to content. There's nobody that beats Sonos when it comes to availability of content, and there's no getting around that. Well, yes and no. So here's the problem. I got a bunch of Sonos gear back in 2013, and I, I kind of liked it. It was interesting. And I used one of their, like the Play 5, I think, with an Airport Express connected to it in the bedroom. The problem with Sonos is that they have a limit to the number of tracks that the devices can handle. And I would have thought that they'd overcome that by now. So I pointed the Sonos app at my iTunes library, and it only goes up to Miles Davis. So in, in the artist folder in alphabetical order, it only goes up to M. My library is about 70,000 tracks. And you would think that after all this time, they would have resolved that. Because uh, while you do have access to dozens of streaming services from the Sonos app, the fact that you can't use a large music library, I think it's just, it's just dumb. I, a yes and no. I'm with you and I'm not with you. The limitation is a memory limitation on all their old hardware. But this is new hardware. A agreed. This is one of the three devices that supports AirPlay 2, which is one of the reasons I wanted the Sonos One. Yeah, I I'm with you. It should, if you have new hardware, it should work. Old hardware, it should not. So be it. But I would say for a lot of people that are into minimal systems, their libraries will probably be smaller than yours. They're not going to have all the music I have. That's yeah, sure. but I, I look at the content available through Sonos, and at least in the U.S., they have XM Radio, which I know a lot of people are like, why would you ever want radio? But I know a lot of people who listen to it in the car, and when they get home, 
they want to listen to the same station. And who am I to tell them, no, you shouldn't want to do that. You know, it's, yeah. so Sonos has that. And many hi-fi companies have approached Sirius XM and said, hey, we want to integrate. And they just say, take a hike. Sirius just purchased Pandora and uh, that should enable them to come up with some pretty cool products that they'll be able to offer as radio. Yeah, yeah. smart yeah. move. Yeah. I, I'm looking at the Sonos app on my iPhone. So this is UK content and I've never heard of many of these, but Apple Music, 7 Digital, Amazon Music, Audible, Bandcamp, Calm Radio, which I've never heard of. Tons of things I don't know. Google Play Music, iDagio, which is a classical thing. Last FM, Live Fish. Some of you might like that. I don't see any live Grateful Dead. I think they do Nugs.net, though. They do. Plex, they have a good integration with Plex, Cobuzz. I mean, there are literally dozens of services. Spotify, of course. They're in alphabetical order, so it doesn't put Spotify and Tidal up at the top where you might want to look for them first. But it's true that if you want to stream from the Sonos app to a Sonos device, it's really probably the best device out there for the wide range of services. And the the big showstopper for a lot of my friends and family is if it doesn't support Apple Music. And so Sonos does. You know, I tried to get my brother onto Tidal and he was okay with the interface, but as soon as he brought it to his kids, they were like, yeah, whatever. Sign up for Apple Music again. That's what we're used to. So he had the can title. So we started talking about a soundbar and maybe before we go to audio systems, let's continue that. I think the soundbar is probably the thing that is more likely to get people to move from lots of speakers and wires to a single unit. I remember when 5.1 systems came out, I bought a Sony package with all the speakers and all the wires, and my living room looked like a laboratory. And no one wants to do that. And then you end up getting rid of the rear speakers because they're in the way. And then you end up, you forget to turn on the subwoofer. And it's, well, it's a great idea if you have a dedicated room, if you can afford you know, a home theater with, with speakers built into the walls. No, that's great. It's just not, it's not practical. I'm with you 100%. 5.1 for movies and music, 5.1 channels. It can be awesome, but you know what? It's, it's so impractical for almost everybody on the planet. And I think the sales of 5.1 music show that in terms of movies, they're just always going to be you know, 5.1, 7.1 at most, whatever. I know a, a lot of people, of course, use their televisions to listen to music if they have an Apple TV or any number of other devices hooked up into the TV. And while I think that's kind of strange, it wouldn't be unusual to have, say, for instance, a smaller TV in the bedroom. And when you're not watching video, you can listen to audio. But do these sound bars uh, go both ways? Can they accommodate, you know, stereo, audio, and the cinematic experience? So my friend who he installed this at his house. It's he's got a TV behind his bar, Sonos play bar underneath the TV. We use it for both. It's awesome. So it's either, you know, watch the game with the sound coming out of the sound bar and it's great. Or we shut off the TV and just use the Sonos app and play music through it. And it's spectacular. You know, it's, it's, it's surprising. It's $700 and it can make you so happy and sound so good. It's wow. really cool. But to circle back on your point about playing music, through the TV. When I met my wife, she used to play CDs, put them in her DVD player and play the sound through her TV speakers. So, you know, we've had a great upgrade since then, but that's just, <laughs> you know, what, what people do. And if hopefully they can 
get introduced to some better sound through some of these minimalist components that aren't so invasive. One of the uh, stories I like to tell is when we had Liz Pelly, the, uh, jur- the music journalist, on, and we asked her how she listened to music. And she has a cassette boombox in her kitchen that she listens to, to cassettes on. And she buys cassette. There are bands that release cassettes these days in Brooklyn, and she buys cassettes when she sees bands live. So, I mean, that that's more of a, how would you say? I wouldn't say it's fashionable. It's, it's more of a, a thing. A thing, yeah. right? It feel for nostalgia, I guess. Well, but when you're too young to have gone through the cassette era, when you're too young to have lived that period, it's not really nostalgia in the same way. For for Doug and me, if we were to go back to a Walkman with cassettes, that would be, you know, that would be nostalgic because we spend all our time rewinding <laughs> or fast forwarding to get to that song you want to hear. My wife would think I was succumbing to early onset dementia if I started playing cassettes yes. again. So I don't think I'm going to get yes. back into that. <laughs> So back to my soundbar, when I set up the TV, I plugged in a 4K Blu-ray player that I bought last year that I actually never took out of the box because what was I going to play on it, right? And the only Blu-ray that I could find, because I really just don't buy these things, was The Grateful Dead Sunshine Daydream, which is a film of their August 27, 72 concert, arguably one of the three best Grateful Dead concerts ever. And it was filmed, and I'll tell you, the sound that was coming out of that soundbar was pretty darn good for what it was. And what surprised me, and what made me hesitate a little bit about the soundbars when I read the specs, it has one tweeter and four woofers. So essentially, the tweeter is in the center and it's mostly for dialogue, and the four woofers aren't really woofers, they're bass to treble, they cover a wide frequency range. What, what's the physics of this? How can they do this and still make it sound that you're hearing the high end and the low end? And I'll tell you, there's a lot of bass that comes out of this thing, and I don't have a subwoofer connected to it. So I met with a guy from Sonos who works at their headquarters in Santa Barbara. And he was telling me the lengths they go to, to make their stuff sound good and having a humongous anechoic chamber and all of this stuff that a lot of people would think a mass market speaker company would not do. But these guys go all out to design these things. So it's some smart engineers with solid engineering data to back up their design decisions and they can produce some magic yeah so so the play bar that you talked about has three tweeters and six midwoofers as they call them so obviously it's an upgrade it's about twice as much as the one that i bought i'm not going to buy a new one yet but i can sense some gear acquisition syndrome because th- there are other ones that have sort of dolby atmos and directional things and you can get a faux surround sound with some of these sound bars can't you yeah yeah And one cool thing, too, is I believe you can hook up the Sonos subwoofer wireless. So put in the play bar, throw the subwoofer somewhere else without snaking a cable across your carpet, and you're sitting pretty good. It would be worth the premium price if I could get rid of wires. I mean, a couple of hundred dollars not to have the wires would be worth it to me. Yeah, but their subwoofer is almost – I think it's the same price as the play bar. I think it's $700. Why is a subwoofer like that so expensive? And this is the case all across audio, isn't it? Subwoofers are very expensive. Yeah, I I don't know why they haven't been able to bring those down. Uh, I noticed that the the Sonos Beam does have a good bass response. I don't really I don't watch superhero movies. I don't really care that much about you know hearing the house shake and all. So it it doesn't matter to me to have a subwoofer, but I find that a little bit expensive. I don't I don't think I would want to build a system that's going to be that overwhelming. Yeah, the Beam is a little bit deeper than the Play Bar, correct? It might be. I haven't really compared the specs I too much. I think it is. 
and which would give it some pretty good base response. Which you don't expect it from something that small. You know, we're used to the rules of physics that for a speaker to be deep, it's got to be huge. And yet they're doing something interesting in there. The powers of DSP are incredible and good engineering. Well, that's true. And with the, with the Sonos Beam, I don't really notice it. Nothing sounds artificial. Whereas with the HomePod, as you know, because you reviewed it, it, it sounds processed in some ways. It sounds they're imposing a sound signature. I don't get that feeling on the beam. And uh, another thing that's good about a soundbar, of course, you can do this with a, a multi-speaker system, but there's just, if you want to increase the audio of dialogue to hear it more easily, it's just a little switch rather than making some complicated adjustments on your amplifier of, you know, raising the center speaker two decibels or whatever it is. <laughs> I just laugh when I think what, about what that. What I really like is that it's not only minimalist visually, but the setup is really simple. Uh, I When I opened the box... It's like I hadn't had Sonos gear for, for years, and they're the company that's closest to Apple in terms of packaging, in terms of onboarding and setup and all that. Uh, I think Sonos was kind of interesting because in the early days, they were using a proprietary network, which would have been a dead end for them, and they made the move to go to use your Wi-Fi network. And I think they've made really good choices to stay competitive in the market. Yeah, very very smart move, and it's a very smart move for them to support all the voice you know, voice assistants that they can instead of try to create their own, which I think they were going to do at first. Yeah. But realize how do you compete with giants? Okay, so that's another thing that you wanted to talk about is the voice assistant, which I could not give a hoot about. I do not use Siri except to, I'm cooking, remind me to check the oven in 20 minutes with my watch. That's about my limit. The Sonos Beam and the Sonos One, which I bought, both support Alexa. My HomePod supports Siri, which I have turned off. I've turned off Alexa on the Sonos devices. But it's not, you shouldn't really choose your audio speaker in terms of which voice assistant it has, right? 100%. Absolutely. I can't say that enough. A lot of people think, oh, I'm going to buy this speaker because it's got, it'll do everything for me. The voice, the speaker. No, no, no. That's totally a wrong move. And not even... That shouldn't even come from a card-carrying audio file being the wrong move. <laughs> it's the wrong move for anybody. Yeah. Voice and all of that is to get into your house. If they can sneak it in on top of a speaker, they will do it. And that's how they've got in in a lot of places. So just people right now, if you're thinking about voice, think about voice. If you're thinking about speakers, <laughs> think about speakers. Yeah, so, so Apple doesn't give you the option. With Alexa, you can buy an Amazon Echo. You get them cheap, like once a month, every Prime Day, Black Friday, post-Christmas. They're always cheap. Google Home, I think they have a couple of inexpensive devices as well, like hockey puck-type devices. Yeah. Apple's the only one who doesn't. You either buy the HomePod at, what is it, $349 US, or you use your iPhone or your Apple Watch or other Apple device. And that, of course, is a difference with... Alexa, because you don't have Alexa on a phone, so you don't have the same access. Yeah, yeah. So I recently got a Google Home Hub, the display, and it sits here on my desk, and I'm kind of I kind of enjoy it. Uh, but the thing I got it for was how can I integrate this with good quality music? So I'm I'm not interested at all in telling it to order me toilet paper or anything like that. Yeah, I want to look at it and say, you know, hey Google, play Miles Davis. And you can set up your default speaker. So it'll go to my hi-fi system and it'll use Deezer. And right now Deezer has an issue with sending lossless audio only when you tell the home hub to send lossless audio. So uh, Deezer uh, is lossless, but in this specific case, it's not. So 
I've been going back and forth with Deezer to try to figure that one out. But when I can, that will be cool. Voice activated, lossless audio. But this is all part of the quest for minimalism to avoid all these hassles and headaches. It's just another packet of hassles. It's just another set of hassles that, I, although they do seem a little more contained, you know, it's not like you have sprawling gear and hardware all over the house and you got wires running through your walls. At least in this situation, I think, well, it's a hardware software thing, it, but it still does bring its own set of problems. That's a, that's, a, that's a nice problem to have, you know, having a Deezer subscription with lossless, but still, it's a bit awkward. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. So we, we talked about a sound bar. So this is with a TV. And you mentioned that you can use that to listen to music. And I think for a lot of people, that's probably a good choice for a minimal audio system. If they're going to listen in their living room, why have two systems, just have one that's with the TV? But what about someone who wants an audio-only system? In my previous house, I had a small amplifier and two bookshelf speakers in the bedroom, Airport Express, so I could stream to them. It was bigger than what I'd want in a bedroom, but it was okay because I had the gear. Now, the way the bedroom's set up, I can't place anything like that. And that's why I wanted to get the two home pods because I've got them on two shelves on either side of the room, and it works. And that, to me, is... Just the change of only having those two little speakers instead of the stuff. You got to turn on this. You got to make sure you stream into that. You got to make sure the speakers haven't make, make sure my partner hasn't moved the speakers when she dusted or something like that. What are the options today for someone who wants a small audio system, not connected to a TV? We've talked about the Sonos, but there are self-powered speakers that go up into the thousands, aren't there? Oh, yeah. I'm sure there's one for $10 and there's probably one for $10,000. Uh, last week, I published a review of a series from Dyn Audio, the Danish speaker manufacturer, called the Music Series. They have the Music 1, I think, starts at about $399 to the Music 7, which is $999. And there's a 1, a 3, a 5, and a 7. So it's a range. They're, they're all in ones. The 7 can be used as a center channel, too, if you want. Or you can just put it wherever you want, and it's an audio-only system. So it's quite cool. Any of them can be put in a stereo pair. And what's really cool, too, about this is the speaker grill fabric comes from the Danish design house Gabriel. So it looks really nice. It's not this black or gray that is the typical gross audio stuff you see at Best Buy. High-end companies like Dyn Audio, Name, have some good units with the Muso. And then, of course, there's the... WLA Phantom. Yeah, but that's that's really expensive. It's very expensive, but it's minimalist in that it's all in one. Here's your single thing to do it. And so one cool thing, too, about, say, this Dyn Audio Music 7, as it gives you full stereo reproduction in an all in one unit. And to test that, I put on Roger Waters Amused to Death, which is in Q sound. And if your stereo separation and everything isn't perfect, you'll lose the Q sound. So when you play it back, you hear the piano way off to the right of the speaker and the breathing way off to the left. And it's not like people are going to do that, but it tells me the stereo separation is really good with a single speaker. Yeah, because in the early days of these things, the stereo separation was pretty much like five degrees between the two speakers. And you had to be exactly... Oh, it was mud. It was yeah. mud. Just call it what it was. It was well, mud. Well, it was, it was mono. It was stereo in name only. It was basically mono because <laughs> yeah. it just wasn't designed for that. And, and they have improved over the years. But what I'm finding interesting now is Dynaudio is one example, but there are others. The, the, the sort of mid to high-end audio market is starting 
to look at these all-in-one units, which, what, 10 years ago, audiophiles would have just smirked at, wouldn't they? Yes. Remember when B&W came out with the Zeppelin? Right. Yeah. Audiophiles looked at that and went, this is blasphemous. Terrible. Uh, <laughs> B&W was ahead of its time. I didn't like the sound of the Zeppelin, but the concept. I didn't either. Way too basic. Yeah, the concept yeah. was definitely there. But I look at these all-in-ones as a way to actually listen to music with your friends and family. Back in the day, everybody had the big console stereo. I mean, way back in the day, the piece of furniture, and the whole family could listen. Then it went to Dad's Down in the Cave, and the all-in-one has the chance to bring the family back together, which I love it. When I sit there and my daughter's dancing when we're all having fun listening to music, there's nothing better than that. So these really have a great place, and it's cool to see hi-fi companies getting into it to create a better product. You know, it's like people always say, should I get the Beats or the Bose? And I'm like, no, look at a hi-fi company. When we're talking headphones, get something from Sennheiser. They know what they're doing. And it's kind of the same way with these all-in-ones. You can go to Target and there'll be an all-in-one from brand XYZ, but a lot of hi-fi companies can really produce some magic. That said, there's probably some snake oil in some of them too, right? They're they're going to be $10,000 for something that's not very good. Yeah. So it's to the wise, but for the most part, the all-in-ones have been great from hi-fi companies. Well, that Dyn Audio, and, and I wasn't familiar with this until last week when I think you tweeted that you had added a boutique on your, your store. The most expensive one's $1,000. Now, that's not an amount that just anyone can spend, but that's still not excessive for something that, and, and I'm going to take your word for it, that probably sounds quite good. The next one down is seven ninety nine, which still isn't ridiculous for, for the type of material it is. Yeah, the uh, Dyn Audio Music 7 is the best all-in-one that I've heard to date. Hmm. It The user interface isn't the best, but in terms of sound quality, absolutely the best. Here's one of the things that I really wanted in my kitchen speaker. Remember, this is a kitchen. It's got, I've got tile floors and tile walls, and it's a terrible sound space. But I wanted AirPlay 2. How many of these devices support AirPlay 2? Because I don't want to be Bluetoothing to a device like that. And I don't want to have to depend on their app, which... In a couple of years, if they don't update, it means that I may not even be able to use the device anymore. Depending on a hi-fi company to update an app, <laughs> yeah, I, I chuckle. Um, yeah. it, even some, depending on technology companies to update an app can be can be hard. And I would say that Sonos is the exception because they're built around their app. Yeah. Um, but for other companies, I don't want to depend on an app to have to listen to speakers. Yes. So Dyn Audio right now supports AirPlay 1. They told me that their speakers are AirPlay 2 capable. So I don't know what that means, meaning they can be upgraded in the field via software to AirPlay 2. I don't know. Yeah, they can probably do a firmware upgrade. They've probably got whatever hardware is necessary, and they'll probably do a firmware upgrade. But even if it supports AirPlay 1, that's good enough for me. The main advantage to AirPlay 2 is to have multiple devices in sync. I don't really want my whole house playing music all over the place. That's just a little bit too strange. So... When you set up a HomePod, it kind of automatically listens to the room and adjusts itself using what they call digital signal processing or DSP. The Sonos is funny because you have to launch a a tuning thing in the app and you have to walk around and wave your phone up and down and walk around the room in order for it to hear it. I don't really know if it makes that much of a difference, does it, to you? It can make a really big difference. I'm not a fan of the walking around the room waving phones around. That's not going to cut it. My friends aren't going to do that. And I'm going to have to go over there and do that. (laughs) 
So <laughs> right. <laughs> the the home pod is cool in that respect, but it's not cool in that you can't shut it off. Right. The speakers like the Dyn Audio, it's a simple on and off switch in the app. You can turn on intelligent uh, playback or turn it off. And it adapts really nicely. I would have to say most people in most situations won't even care. If it's if there's a ton of bass, they'll be like, oh, the sound has bass. The song has bass. Yeah. Um, but for me, I'll turn it off and on, and it makes an incredible difference in the for the most part in the bass. Yeah. Because that's gonna get super boomy. And you know, if you have it sitting out in the middle of the room, eh, probably not that big a difference, but against a wall in a kitchen. Yeah, in a corner in particular, on top of a microwave. It was the only place I could put yes. it. So, which is not the best place in terms of Wi-Fi signal. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I haven't been playing music while I've been running the microwave yet to see if there are any conflicts. You'll find out. I know I will. Oh, I love that. So another thing I like about this, and and I'm just going to come back to the minimalist wire thing, is even with the previous system I had in my bedroom, you know, there were power plugs to connect everything, and then there were speaker wires and all that. And the one thing about these little standalone speakers, and like the Sonos, you can take two, put them in a stereo pair, and the HomePod, is they've only got one single wire, a power plug. They don't have to connect between each other. And that's what's great about all of this wireless technology we've got. We won't get wireless power anytime soon, but there's just something liberating about not having all these wires. Every once in a while, I look under my desk with all the wires coming down from my computers, my speakers, my lamps, and everything. And the desire to be wire-free is probably one of man's natural urges i think and we're getting closer to that well i I don't know how natural it is it's it's as i always call it it's 19th century technology and we're still using wires everywhere i mean outside my house i have them hanging on poles it's the whole idea of using wires nowadays just seems crazy and i'm so glad that we're getting closer to wireless Uh, obviously we're not going to get rid of all the wires as you say we need power but just getting rid of pairs of speaker wires that I'm tripping and traipsing over all the time would be great. So I do have one thing for you. The Arender S5W loudspeakers, completely wireless. Really? They run on battery. Ah. And the batteries that they use are from Bosch. So you can go to Home Depot or any store, Amazon, and get them. You're not dependent on the company because if a hi-fi company makes that battery, it's going to cost $3,000. But Bosch will make them. And you can get, but the it's, char- it's rechargeable, right? Yes, yes. Okay. And you can pop new ones in and out. It's a cool system. It's the first completely wireless stereo pair of loudspeakers I've ever listened to. How's the sound? It sounds really good. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, hit us with the bad news. What does it cost? Yeah. The bad news is it's three thousand dollars. Okay. But okay, it's a step in the right direction. But new technology. Yeah, yeah. it's the only pair of totally wireless loudspeakers. And talking to this company, they were saying, you know, our advertisements are going to show our speakers with no wires going to them, but so does every other loudspeaker company. Right, right. They all show their loudspeakers with no speaker cables, no power cables, nothing. So these guys have truth in advertisement in that completely wireless. Yeah, and on their website, I'll link in the show notes, they show a picture of a nice terrace overlooking the Mediterranean with one of the speakers sitting on a speaker stand out there. And it's true that the idea of, of Putting it anywhere without having to be tethered at all is really nice. I had one of those Tivoli audio speakers some years ago, and that was a rechargeable battery. And I used to use it outside on the on the terrace where I lived. But that was a tiny mono, very good bass response, but a tiny mono unit. 
these horrendously look quite nice. Yeah. L- let's get into real prices, though. I-, I mean, you get a stereo pair of the Sonos One for four hundred dollars. I-, I think a lot of people might still balk at that because they're looking at fifty dollars Bluetooth speakers. But it seems to me that the quality of that is pretty close to, you know, an entry level stereo system, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Okay, what would you recommend for someone who wants to go for something a little bit better, a little bit more expensive without busting the credit card limit? If we want to talk recent, the Dynaudio Music Series, you know, from the Music 1 to the Music 7. Like I said in my review, buy the biggest one you can afford or the biggest one you have space for because physics okay. dumps does come into play. But even so, is how's the 1 and the 3 on the low end? I mean, do they sound acceptable, serviceable? Acceptable, probably really good for most people. I look at them going, yeah, these are good. Um, the three definitely better than the one. It's twice the size. So again, physics does come into play for a lot of this and DSP as well. But finding a hi-fi brand who makes a range yeah. is really nice because then you can you know pick the size and the price you want. Name also has the Muso and the Muso QB, which is the smaller version. Again, probably a little more expensive than you know Sonos, but you're getting a little bit different product. I just saw something on the Dynaudio website. This is battery powered. The Music 1 and the Music 3 have batteries in them, so they can be charged, and then you can bring them wherever you want. So true wireless. Yes, yes. Okay, you'll be listening to this episode before Christmas, and if you want to, I don't know, sell your existing stereo stuff and get a minimalist system, there'll be some links in the show notes. Chris Conacher, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, guys. I enjoyed it. Now we're going to wrap things up with our next track picks, Kirk. So my next track pick this week is not music. It's very rare that I have picked an extract that isn't music. As I discussed in this episode, we set up this TV room and I've got the 4K TV and I've got the 4K Blu-ray drive, but I didn't have any 4K content to put in the Blu-ray drive. So what's the point of having it? So while we were recording, the Amazon guy came and he brought me this box set of Planet Earth 2 and Blue Planet 2 both in 4K. I don't know if you've seen any of this, but this is some extraordinary video. Planet Earth is this thing. It's in deserts and forests and lakes and all that. And Blue Planet is all in the sea and the rivers. I saw some footage of this last week on the BBC iPlayer where they had some 4K footage you could stream to test. And I watched about 10 minutes of it. It's simply breathtaking. So I wanted to get, you know, 12 hours of nice 4K footage to look at on my TV. There's probably a little bit of music in there. One thing about this 4K stuff is I'm probably not going to buy very much of it. I never bought a lot of Blu-rays to start with, other than maybe concerts and music things. I rent movies. I don't generally buy them. I don't have the bandwidth to rent 4K movies from Apple because they require 25 megabits and I've only got about 15. I can get some 4K content on Amazon and I'm not going to pay extra on Netflix. So this is pretty much all the 4K video I'm going to have. Planet Earth 2 and Blue Planet 2, presented by the famous David Attenborough. Doug, what have you got? This week, I have a guilty pleasure. Um, I still feel guilty about it, uh, even though I don't listen to this kind of music much anymore. It is Joni Mitchell's Shadows and Light live album. Uh, Back in the 70s, this came out in 1980. Back in the 70s, I had a bunch of friends, and specifically, I had a girlfriend who liked Joni Mitchell, so there was no really avoiding listening to Joni Mitchell. I didn't care much for the folk stuff. 
but I really did enjoy her, her jazz-infused albums. And this album came out uh, and featured a, a great set of musicians. And if you were listening to Jazz Fusion at the time, you would have really enjoyed hearing Lyle Mays and Pat Metheny and Jaco Pastorius and Don Elias and Michael Brecker back up Joni Mitchell doing some of her, her better jazz cuts. They also did some Charlie Mingus tunes. The This particular uh, album, it was from a tour that she was doing. It's actually called Mingus Shadows and Light. And so she does a lot of uh, a, a wide variety of jazz sort of stuff. Jazz, but ultimately, it's it comes down to jazz fusion. And I know people now in the 21st century kind of look back at jazz fusion as being somewhat uh, stilted. But I... I remember liking this record a lot, and I haven't listened to Joni Mitchell in a very long time. And I was only reminded of the fact that I listened to any of her stuff at all by noticing that she celebrated a recent birthday. So I'm going to give it a go and see how I feel about it, see if it holds up. I have a feeling it won't, but we'll see. Joni Mitchell, Shadows and Light, is my next track. This has been The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.